it's over 9,000! Super Elite Warriors to Final Forum, a podcast for the discussion of all things Dragon Ball. I am your host, Jelly, an elite recruiting member of the Frieza Force on a mission to find the best warriors from across the galaxy to join the greatest army of all time, and I am joined, as always, by my new recruit co-host. This is the Bikini. And we're back in space. And yet, even in space, you all eventually have to hear me scream. This again. We've been adrift in space several times and I've been eaten by amoeba more than once. We've also been blasted out of the sky, and everywhere we go I get mauled, or stabbed, or shot, or blasted, or something just generally awful. That's what makes you an indispensable member of this podcast. That. Not my insights into the show we talk about, my propensity for getting horribly brutalized. Well, who else would do that? I don't know, you? Someone else? Nobody at all, because we shouldn't be constantly getting attacked when we're just supposed to be recruiting people? I burned through a bunch of co-hosts before you. You got a knack for survival. You've gotten multiple beings killed and never thought to yourself, Hey, maybe we should change the way we do things. But we have changed things. What? In what way? We used to have less expendable co-hosts. You just said I was indispensable. I meant that literally. I can't seem to get rid of you. You're not... No, you can't be. I can't be what? You can't be purposely getting us into these deadly situations to try and get rid of me. Can you? With how often these situations very nearly put me at risk of also almost being in danger? But you've never actually been in a lot of danger. But I almost was. Nearly. And that would be too much danger for you? Exactly. Uh, Look, the point is, I'm not doing this on purpose. It just sort of happens. Somehow, I actually believe you. And that's all that matters. Let's get into this week's topic. And this week, we're going to be discussing the topic of Piccolo's children. And that'll take us into episodes 108 and 109 of the Dragon Ball anime. Yes, I know it's not going to really perfectly line up with everything that we're going to be talking about, but I guess deal with it. There's there's a lot of stuff to go over. There wasn't a whole lot of episodes to try and fit things in. Cut us some slack, folks. <laughs> Anyways, 
So we're going to start this week with episode 108 titled Goku's Revenge. So we have Goku versus Tambourine Part 2 Electric Boogaloo. The fight we've been waiting for. So let's start with a slow shot of Roshi reminiscing about the series up to this point. It's thankfully short-lived as Team Turtle Crane locks onto another Dragon Ball. Okay, back to the fight. There's a moment of tension before the fight. Then Goku starts to literally run circles around Tambourine. There's a flurry of punches, kicks, and ricochets later, and the fight is over. Yajirobe begins to salivate at the prospect of, prospect of eating Tambourine, but it turns out Tambourine is still alive. He makes a desperate last-ditch energy attack. It does nothing, and Tambourine opts to run, or fly, away. Goku blasts him with a Kamehameha wave, and it's bye-bye Tambourine. This enrages Piccolo, obviously, as yet another of his Mazaku is dead. This prompts him to deal with the issue personally. The airship sets course for Tambourine's last location, and they notice someone else is also collecting Dragon Balls. Why, it's Team Turtle Crane, of course. Their landing's a bit Hitchcock, uh, but they arrive otherwise safe and begin searching a cave for their fourth Dragon Ball. After literally tripping over it, their adventure goes full the birds after Master Roshi's head provokes them. Tian inquires lightly about the Mafuba. This will be a thing going forward. And surmises that Master Roshi knows the form of the technique. This is important because I, th I believe we've established earlier in, in uh, the tournament episodes that uh, Tien can master a technique by seeing it only once, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. Uh, so this becomes a thing. He'll, he'll start to obsess. So he has uh, – um, is that the whooshing quality? I believe I believe it is, yes. That's Goku's – Goku has that similar quality? Yeah, where they see things for, for what they are and they can learn things quickly. Yes. Piccolo decides to ignore Team Turtle Crane for now and focus on Goku, and would you look at that? They just arrived. Brings us to episode 109, Goku versus King Piccolo. We open this episode with Team Turtle Crane nearing their fifth Dragon Ball and Tien becoming increasingly fixated on the Mafuba. Piccolo has arrived at Goku's location, and we get introduced to another of Yajirobe's character quirks. He's a straight-up coward. We kind of touched on this last episode, but this is where it gets, like, cemented in the canon. Yeah. There's some villainous monologuing. Pilaf identifies Goku as the source of Piccolo's problems, and Piccolo makes a beeline for his pint-sized hero. Goku actually manages to surprise Piccolo and land a few hits, but it doesn't leave a scratch on him. He responds by showing his full power, with his energy alone freezing Goku in place. We cut back to Team Turtle Crane, who have just found their fifth Dragon Ball. We get a nice Indiana Jones moment with a boulder chasing after Roshi and ultimately squashing him, and he loses the Dragon Ball. Back at the fight, Goku struggles against Piccolo's aura. We then get a sampling of Piccolo's power with a brutal beatdown on Goku. Piccolo continues to gloat, and Goku decides to snack on his thumb. This results in Goku being thoroughly concussed when he gets smashed into a stone multiple times. However, Goku manages to draw blood. Red blood, but just forget you saw that. <laughs> Despite the smackdown, Goku's still going, but he's been backed into a corner. It takes everything he has just to keep from being blown up by Piccolo's energy attacks. Piccolo continues to gloat, but it seems earned at this point. Goku decides to go all in with a Kamehameha, and we get an interesting reaction from Piccolo, a glimpse of real fear. It seems the form of the Kamehameha wave is similar to the Mafuba. Once the technique is complete, though, he recognizes that it's not the Mafuba, and he relaxes again. After an impressive Technicolor display, Piccolo is unscratched. How will Goku win this one? And that's where we end that couple of episodes uh, the goku versus piccolo stuff in terms of the animation is like awesome yeah it's really good stuff 
we get we get a little bit more of one of my favorite physics things in, in that that in Dragon Ball. Uh, not not you know quite as hilarious as the as Tao Pai Pai with the column, but <laughs> Goku or not Goku Piccolo does kick Goku at one point and then runs alongside his yeah, airborne body. Again. Which eventually becomes a staple of the series. Yes, uh, it's my it is my favorite physics of Dragon Ball thing. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that's all good. Um, I'd be curious to know in you because you you're watching these subtitled, right? Mm-hmm. In yours, so in mine, Goku uh, attacks Tambourine, thinks yep. he has killed Tambourine. And then Tambourine stands back up and Goku says, oh, guess I didn't kill, guess I didn't hit him hard enough or something like that. Yeah, I believe it's something similar to that. Oh, okay. I was just kind of curious because this is like, we've talked a bunch in our very first episode about Goku and how, you know, he's considered to have this flat character arc. And Mm -hmm. I've just kind of been ruminating on that a little bit where we've actually seen in Goku... Uh, in the Dragon Ball portion of this story, uh, quite a bit of, dare I say, bloodlust. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Uh, this arc in particular, definitely. You know, and, Unders- and this I mean, one- understandable because like they killed his best friend, but you know, yes, there's there's definitely a change in the character through these episodes. But even even in in Dragon Ball Z, when his best friend gets murdered by Frieza after Frieza has also murdered everyone else. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking and, about? Frieza's a stand-up guy. And just been and just been, you know, like like terrorizing everyone. And and that causes him to snap and go Super Saiyan. He still has that like, well, I'm not gonna kill you thing going on. Right. That is some sort of i don't know is that is that growth is that regression that's that's some sort of change in this character i mean yeah i think though that like this whole thing with krillin i think it's it's kind of just a motivation thing uh-huh. and i think it's to keep because we're in that section of the storyline where it's okay we've got to go find the dragon balls now and it i could see how that might start to feel samey after a while so I think maybe this was his way of trying to break that cycle. And then personally, I think that Piccolo ended up being such a popular villain and he brings him back that it kind of forced the typical cycle of find the Dragon Balls, have a tournament, find the Dragon Balls, have a tournament cycle to break and be able to do something different with the story. Well, and you could you could make the argument you know, if you want to, if you want to do the 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 sort of literary storytelling argument, which you know we we dip into for sure from time to time on this podcast, I think I have some stuff about that actually later on in our notes here with regards to Piccolo's children. But you know, if you want to make like the storytelling argument behind why Goku goes through that change, it's because in the when he's young, as he still is in the Dragon Ball portion of the story, mm-hmm. he sees unrepentant bad guys, right? Like like the Red Ribbon Army and Sure, yeah. And Piccolo. 
and as he grows into adulthood, he will encounter certain unrepentant bad guys like Piccolo and Vegeta who reform and become allies and even friends. And mm-hmm. so his mindset changes from, oh, bad guys are always unrepentant and must, you know, be killed because they're unrepentant to, hey, even the worst guy is potentially not beyond reform. You know, that's a pretty good point. I hadn't considered that angle. It's it's very it's very um it's very good place esque. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely getting that vibe. So it's it's a change in his character, right? And so there's your take your flat character arc and shove it. <laughs> 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 I feel like I feel like those flat earthers who find like the one Google link that agrees with them and I'm like ha ha <laughs> right all along. Uh, <laughs> so uh let's 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 dive into Piccolo's children here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now that we've called ourselves flat earthers. <laughs> Every once in a while you'll come across people who kind of think and I would say these are probably people who encounter Dragon Ball from the Z portion on first. Uh, and so potentially, I don't I don't know if we run into any of this in the English dubbing for Z, especially the 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 Blue Water Ocean Group dubs uh, that sort of imply in any way that Piccolo is meant to be yet another food pun and this one for pickle. Because in in Japanese he's Picaro, and you know you could if you're a sort of naive gaijin and and you and you think that you know that's just a really bad pronunciation. You could think that that's them trying to say pickle uh, because he's green and uh, I don't know wrinkly. <laughs> I, mean, I could see it, uh, but. The existence of his children should put that out of everyone's mind, as his children are tambourine, piano, cymbal, and later we will encounter drum. So, these children of Piccolo are all also musically named. Piccolo is pickle low, like like the little mini flute. Uh, these children of Piccolo all have percussive names, which perhaps is alluding to their supporting role, as well as the supporting role that percussion music takes in helping lead instruments like a piccolo or a flute find their timing and rhythm. Somewhat less official children of piccolo, as they're named in games only, are Ukulele, who is actually in the flashbacks of Roshi describing the first war with Piccolo. He's one of those like monsters that appears in it. Uh, he's Ukulele, but he's only named in the NES game Daimyo Fukatsu, which we discussed last year in our video games episode, so go check that one out if you want to hear us talk about that game a little bit. We couldn't play it. It was it was not great. <laughs> uh, but his other kids that are named in video games as uh, NPCs or whatever are Banjo, Bell, Viola, Conga, Harp, Mandolin, Maraca, Marimba, Organ, castanets, harmonica, bongo. Organ is actually notable as he replaces piano in Daimyo Fukatsu as sort of the mouthpiece of Piccolo. 
And then the others tend to just all be like video game only characters who in a bunch of cases are like palette swaps of each other or or even Piccolo's other children. So I think like there are a bunch of palette swaps of ukulele, like ukulele, banjo and viola are all just like Congo uh, are all like palette swaps of each other. I, I think that Con- makes sense. I think Conga is a palette swap of drum. So I don't know all of these other ones, but. But yeah, they're just like palette swap characters to to get more characters in a video game where you're, you know, trying to have that sort of beat 'em up style battle against multiple things instead of just one main boss. That sounds about the level of effort I would expect developers of that time frame to put into it. Hey, at least they picked <laughs> up on the musical instrument part. Yeah. We'll give them that because... These people do not always do that, <laughs> <laughs> or they don't right because that's we Corin and and Corn versus uh, Carinto. Go listen to our Master Corin episode for more on that. So many references. <laughs> We're just the self-referential podcast now. <laughs> well, you know we've got a hundred and how many episodes into this? We're we are uh, now. This for, is like for Dragon Ball. Oh, hundred. Yeah, we're on like a, uh, episode one hundred eight of Dragon Ball, right? So yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot to reference there. <laughs> <laughs> now, Tambourine, as we've mentioned before, is voiced in the American dub by Damian Clark, who also did Cell, and in the Japanese version, Ry- Ryusei Nakao, who also does Frieza. In some further synergy with Frieza, both Tambourine and Frieza kill Krillin, and also Tambourine Frieza in. Frieza in Super, and Cell are all killed by the Kamehameha. Hmm. And furthermore, Tambourine and Frieza kill Girin and King Vegeta, respectively, and both of them are, in the Japanese version, voiced by the same voice actor, Banjo Ginga. I smell a conspiracy. And his name is Banjo. So the Matrix, or something. This is this is all lining up too much with my flat earth theories. So if if you see two black cats walk in front of you right now. Glitch in the matrix. Take the red pill. In in GT, I'm sure we'll we'll probably repeat this, uh, but just because that'll probably be like a hundred episodes for us from now. In GT Nuova Shenron, Shen, Shenron, Nuova Shenron and Ice Shenron resemble Tambourine, and then they are like palette swaps of each other, which is apropos as they were both born out of the wishes uh, due to Piccolo's actions. Nuova is from Piccolo's wish for immortality, and Ice is from Bulma's wish to revive those killed by Piccolo. And we'll talk more about these twin brothers whenever we eventually get to discussing GT. Tambourine loves killing, and it's considered one of his hobbies. That's that's lovely. Symbol is voiced in Japanese by Daisuke Gori, and in English by Brad Jackson. And now, both of these actors have played multiple other voices throughout Dragon Ball, with Gori having done Turtle, Ox King, Gastel, the, the guy with the, the ribbon and the fire wheels from Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, Captain Yellow... Inoshikacho, Drum, King Yama, Purunga, who is the the Namekian dragon, and Mr. Satan. And Jackson, uh, this Brad Jackson, has done Oolong and Hayes Shenron, 
but both of them wound up doing King Cold as well. So the trend of shared characters among these voice actors continues. I feel like uh, like that episode of Always Sunny, where they're standing in front of the conspiracy board. <laughs> Pepe Sylvia! There is no Pepe Sylvia. Symbol <laughs> no, is not as malevolent as Tambourine. He specifically states he only cares about the Dragon Balls. That's the purpose he was born for, and so he only kills people who get in the way of that goal. But obviously he's not a good guy. Drum, as we mentioned already, is voiced in Japanese by Desuke Gori. In the English dub, he's voiced by Bob Carter, who also voiced Bojack and Sin Shenron, and a couple filler characters from DBZ and Super, so we lose our, what you call it, our, our track record there. No, but see, that's that's it's part of the conspiracy. <laughs> they did this just to throw us off the trail. <laughs> and then there's, and then finally there's Piano... Piano never fights, but we have to surmise he has some baseline fighting ability because he can fly. And we've discussed how flight is attributed to powerful individuals already. If you'd like to hear more about that, you can go listen to our flight episode. That's wow. Was that three three references already? Yeah. So if this is your first episode. You got some homework to do. And and really, we've kind of preempted a fourth by by stating how we were going to reference GT hundreds <laughs> of episodes in the future. So really. <laughs> really, it's at four. Um, Conspiracy grows. Now, there's an interesting thing about Piano, and it's it's not going to be for a while, but when he is killed, ultimately, in the English dub, he moans, and he's like seemingly left alive, but he's never seen again. This is one of those weird censorship things that happened with Dragon Ball. It's a, we should almost, we should call these like, like, hiffle happenings, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes, we're doing that. Uh, this is one of those hiffle happenings where, for some reason, killing this character would have appear- appeared to be just, just too violent. You know, you could, you could slice Crossing a character in half, you can vaporize one, but Pull you can't- a hole through their chest. <laughs> you can't- I, I believe the way Piano dies is that Piccolo, uh, like- lands on him and crushes him while he's fighting with Goku and then the earth like kind of caves away under him and then he falls into like the crevice of the earth and he's just never seen again for some reason that would be too violent (laughs) okay (laughs) so they didn't kill him in the English dub now his 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 design piano's design comes from a character Baramos in Dragon Quest 3, which was also designed by Toriyama, and Piano's first appearance precedes Baramos's by about a year. And then he's voiced by Masato Hirano in the Japanese, who also did Manwolf, and in the Funimation dub, the, the English Funimation dub, he's voiced by Sonny Strait, who has done Bardock, Blue, Mummy Coon, and most notably, my boy, Adult Krillin. Nice. Piccolo's children are considered part of the Mazaku race, with each one being a Maju. Maju are demon beast creatures, and as for Mazoku, Mazoku is an ancient Japanese term for uh, transliterating the names of a foreign demon into Japanese. This tells a Japanese individual that while an Indian Yaksha is a demon, or an American demon is a demon, uh, they are not demons in the sense that an Oni is a demon. Make sense? No? Good. 
<laughs> it's basically some of what we've discussed before back when we talked about Aider and how there's not always good translations for certain things. And a bunch of characters get called androids when that's not technically what they are. Uh, oh, we do that in English. Go go listen to our Aider episode. That's number five. <laughs> uh, we do that in English with calling yokai yokai and transliterating that word instead of uh, translating it to like monster. Since yokai are technically different than monsters or ghosts or spirits, uh, they're unique and there's no good specific English translation. Piccolo is considered the demon king and his children are demons, but they're not really, really demons. Uh, it's just the best word to describe them. Now – when we break down the word Mazoku, so Ma is evil, and Zoku is a suffix that means tribe, and in the wake of World War II was used to refer to any new social group created during the time of American occupation. So Mazoku is the evil tribe, but the word Zoku was a pretty has a pretty negative uh, connotation to it because of the American occupation forces. Just kind of as an example, pachinko players were called Oyayubi Zoku. I think I said that right. That's basically translated as the Thumb Tribe, uh, and we're seen as desperate degenerates, for example. Uh, we may repeat this down the line, but if not, let's get it on record here. During the Cell Saga, there's a group called the Bosso Zoku, or Reckless Tribe, uh, which is a counterculture gang of young teams with uh, like a pompadour hairstyle, think like greasers from the 50s, uh, who ride motorcycles and start fights and wear kamikaze pilot jackets. So Toriyama's definitely drawing on a that negative connotation of the word Zoku to do a lot of the heavy lifting for us. Right, and he's giving us a glimpse into what he thinks of, you know, gangs. Right, and especially... Not a fan, not a fan of biker gangs, apparently. <laughs> Which uh, would be... Uh, he, he shares a synergy, then, with um, Suzuki Keneko... Uh, this is this is our we didn't get it in last episode. This is our requisite Godzilla reference. E. Um, we've actually talked a little bit about about this movie in the past, or I have. I don't want to say we. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shizuki Kaneko's lone Godzilla film, uh, GMK or Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah, Giant Monsters All Out Attack. I mean, I talked about how the the title was uh, hilariously translated or transliterated, maybe more. Uh, I forget what episode I talked about that one in. It was when we were talking about something recently, though. This is this is very specific and will help our listeners find that episode. But I, well, I was trying to get our sixth self-reference in there. No, I, I got it. Yeah, no, it counts. It counts. <laughs> it was during the like previous tournament, I think. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, yeah, yeah, it was it was during the 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 tribeam discussion when we talked about the tribeam. Ah, uh, yes, the insult to geometry. Yes, <laughs> and and how because uh, the the real name of the attack is remind me Kikoho, I think it is. Yes, yeah, and that I and did, that translates right. to like spirit cannon, and why they wouldn't just call it the spirit cannon instead of the tribeam. Anyone's guess? Yeah, I don't know. But I forget. But so back to Kaneko for briefly with GMK is there's a there's a part in GMK where a ruthless biker gang is like terrorizing this small little village, and it's interesting that that I wonder how much 
um, I want to say like oh, it, uh, it, are we thinking about the Gord episode with the bikers? Gord that episode. were terrorizing the village, the village, and they had the Gord that they could suck people up into. No, that's a different. That's a that's an oh. earlier episode of Dragon Ball. This is a Cell Saga episode. Oh no, I meant the the reference to to um, GMK. Oh no, this is just I I'm 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 trying to see if like. If there's a synergy or purposefulness or whatever behind, like, is Toriyama just using the term Zoku to try and, like, get it across that this is, like, a bad gang without, you know, beating you over the head with it? Because much like Kaneko does in GMK, he, like, has these characters where, and I forget what the symbol is, but it's, like, some kind of a... Uh, a sun symbol i forget the exact name of it but it's like a right it's like a radical right wing group in japan and he just has is it, it on, the the hanafuda maybe where is it the is it the red circle no with it's the, a the different it's like, coming a, it's out like of it? a golden red it's like a golden sun thing oh like okay a, like a flower patch almost um and it looks like almost a flower. It really does. But I think it's called like the Golden Sun or something. I forget. Uh, but okay. but it's a it's a radical right wing group in Japan, and he's basically telling us that these are like essentially like neo Nazis without. I get you having yeah. them loudly announce their views, and then later he has them get killed by Baragon, and you're supposed to be like, yeah awesome and not just you're not like a lot of a lot of like western viewers have have interpreted that as like sort of a oh that's like a over-the-top comeuppance for this like gang of gang of street toughs very yeah very eh, street toughs right they're not they're not like they don't ever show them murdering anyone or anything because godzilla right right godzilla movies are ultimately you know kind of for kids just like dragon balls kind of for kids uh, yeah, but he has them wearing these these patches on their shoulder that kind of tells you that they're like they're Nazis essentially. That's what we're here for, folks. So you get the cultural context of all your favorite media <laughs> butchered <laughs> through our inability to remember any terms. <laughs> but now, so given what we know about Go- uh, Goku, about Piccolo, namely that he's an alien and specifically a Namekian whose children all look like themselves. Why don't Piccolo's children look like Piccolo? Excellent question. There's the first and easiest and obvious answer. And it's that Toriyama had no idea when he was writing this that he would still be writing Dragon Ball several years later and wind up creating an entire planet and race of people and giving Piccolo an alien origin. And so he just kind of forgets. That's that's the actual answer. Like, if you want the actual answer... That's what it is. This guy just makes it all up as he goes along. Kind of forgot. <laughs> and and as as a piece of evidence to back up that theory, the red blood. Yes. Which becomes like green and then I think purple later. Yes. Then there's the explanation that you could give to explain it in universe or in canon. Because Piccolo is a, a, a sort of bastardized version of his original self, having split his personality into his pure-hearted self, which becomes Kami, and his evil self, which becomes King Piccolo, he can only create bastardized versions of children. He himself is imperfect, so he can only create the imperfect. 
the problem with this, even though it is sort of what we will kind of drill down to, is that it's retroactive. It, it counts on knowing that there was this character called the Nameless Namekian who came to Earth, who decided he wanted to separate the good and evil parts of his nature and thus created two beings, like a, like a Jekyll and Hyde type of thing. In order to come up with an explanation that works both within the story that we know so far and kind of helps explain it with what we later find out about Piccolo, we need to talk a little bit about demons in East Asian culture. All right. So in Buddhism, they speak of fushing. I think that's correct. Or foshing. I don't even know. Um, Yeah, I'm not quite sure the pronunciation on the the vowels. I guess we'll go foshing because then it maybe has less chance of me messing it up. Uh, so in Buddhism, they speak of foshing and woshing. Uh, your foshing is your Buddha nature, and your woshing is your demon nature. Remember, this is the yin yang sort of culture, and the idea is that there's a good and evil nature to pretty much everything. So every creature has different amounts of foshing and wuxing, and shugyo and cultivation help you suppress your wuxing and elevate your foshing until you achieve enlightenment. Now, not so long ago, when we discussed Tian Shinhan, uh, we talked about how he could see Goku and perceive movements of his that others could not. We discussed the sort of in-universe and obvious explanation of how that's done because it's more interesting to actually see characters move around instead of just staring at a blank space until the fight magically ends uh, without us you know, seeing anything. But also the cultural reason uh, where a person of a certain level of cultivation could perceive anyone else's talents that were at or below their own level. So this con- this concept translates to creative efforts within Buddhism as well. You cannot create on a level higher than you are. So Piccolo is the lowest of the low in terms of his woshing uh, nature being most prevalent in his being, so he can only create misshapen offspring. Remember, too, that uh, those who have ascended to the realm of heaven can fall from grace, as we saw from Sun Wukong and the character who inspired Master Roshi, Kume Senen. Remember also that those who fall can improve themselves and return to their, their Buddha glory. Uh, that sort of rise and fall goes for all creatures, including demons. They don't have to remain awful demons forever. This can help to explain why – spoiler alert for a few episodes from now for a decades-old show – After achieving his youth and at the moment of his death, when things become most clear to him and he gains a sort of deathbed comprehension of life and death, King Piccolo is finally able to create a child who is a truer copy of himself when he creates the Piccolo that we ultimately know and love. Yeah, so that's that's the it's pretty similar to that second explanation of Piccolo is a half a character and thus he cannot create true children that makes sense but but this this kind of just digs a touch further and it it goes it it lines up with what we know about the character to this point as well right it's it's Mm -hmm. at this point we don't know that he's a namekian and i've always been super unclear but on that by the way and i'm sure we'll rehash this conversation when we get to it but Vegeta and Nappa call him Namek. Like, yeah, they call him a Namek, and everyone else calls him a Namekian from the planet Namek. Mm-hmm. That that could be like a slur. I wonder. 
That might be an ex post facto explanation of why they do that. That's, I guess maybe. It's like a slur. It'd be like, but that, but that, that then implies that like knowledge of Namekians is commonplace throughout the Galactic Empire of Frieza. It is, which kind of is weird though because they have no knowledge of the Dragon Balls. Oh man. Hmm. In fact, we know they have no knowledge of the Dragon Balls because if that were the case, they would have just gone to Namek in the first place instead of bothering to come to Earth and using our ghetto Dragon Balls. (laughs) That's true. But I will say that explanation does hold up. You know, like if you... If if you could think back to, you know, being in a, a school sort of situation where, you know, cliques would form and things, if like a kid moved in and he was from pick pick a place that's out of right. If if you're on the West Coast and you're in California and a kid moved in from Texas and had his twangy accent, you might just call him Texas uh, or Tex. Um, that's a pretty good way to look at that. Yeah, actually, if that, you're that, if you're in sense. if you're in Texas and, you know, a, a, a kid from Boston moves in, you might just call him Boston. Oh, come on. New York City was right there. I, I know New York City was right there, but you're not going to call someone <laughs> New York City. Uh, you'd call them New York, probably. Or you'd call yeah. them Yankee. Or if you wanted to get really specific, d- depending on where they come from, like if they came from New York City, maybe call them by their borough, like Manhattan or you know, hey, Brooklyn or Harlem. Hey, uh, Captain America and and Spider Man do that to each other. Yes. Doesn't he call him? He calls him Queens, doesn't he? Yes, he calls he calls him Queens. And uh, I think I think Spider Man calls him Brooklyn. I think. I know he calls Spider Man Queens. Yeah, he definitely does. So there, we just so hit I on. Like, a... I like that version where it's kind of like more endearing. But then maybe that's like a jab from them because they're going to murder them all anyway. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, so maybe it's like calling him Texas because he's from Texas, but also like doing it, like using that sort of ingratiating kind of pet name for him, but also with that looming threat of we're going to turn you into paste. Yeah. Yeah, but. But so no that that explanation actually like like for the the piccolo of why his children come out looking the way they do uh works for me actually. I mm-hmm. I I like it and I think I think both the second and third explanation uh, rationalize it as a storytelling potentiality, right? They they Sure. They they line up with everything that we up to this point and then later know about the character and and that being that he he at this point the character that King Piccolo is cannot create a a perfect child until he has that sort of moment of clarity at the moment of death and creates the piccolo that we know. Yeah. Definitely. He's sort of like, he's half a Namekian only at this point. Um, but I do think that that, that half a Namekian point is the one part where you're like, well, then why is he able to create 
normal Piccolo at the moment of his death. Well, then that gets into the 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 sort of demonology of it, right? Of the you can't create above your level. You can. So just as just as with the training thing, you can perceive at or below your level. You can create yeah. at or below your level. Uh, mm-hmm. But he he doesn't create at his level prior to that moment of clarity because he is clouded by his age, his uh, his rage, his mm-hmm. his more uh, his his narcissistic nature. Yes, he probably he probably didn't want to make a child that could rival him. Right, and it's it's only in that that sort of last gasp desperation moment that he puts everything he has actually into making a child. Um, that that could work too. Yeah. So, the children of Piccolo ultimately not super memorable. I think the only one coming into this that I even really remembered at all was Tambourine. And that's because he is the one who kills Krillin. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's definitely one well, that, of course, symbols like he's not he doesn't really do anything. And then he finally shows up to collect a Dragon Ball and immediately just gets sliced in half. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like we we've talked about there's a one named drum coming. Is it like a similar thing with him? Like he gets created and then almost immediately gets killed, too. Like, I don't even know why he gets created. I know he gets created. <sighs> After Piccolo gets his youth back. Yeah, I'm not sure. And then, I don't know. Like, I think, I, I'm pretty sure Goku, like, like one-shots him. Well, at least at this point, we can we can uh, reassure our watchers and listeners that uh, we're not skipping ahead when we record these. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's, I mean, that, like, Tambourine is is like I said, he's kind of the only one you really remember. He is he has a bunch of dialogue. He's super menacing in his first appearance. Sure. He at least dispatches P- Goku. Goku does say it's just because I was hungry, and that proves it because he mollywops Tambourine eventually. It's like no, that one doesn't count. I didn't have a snack before. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, they're not the most memorable or even really important characters, you know, they, um, I I think narratively, like, I don't know, we'll have to see when we get to drum, if we think it makes any sense, but like, Mm -hmm. it almost feels like drum doesn't narratively make any damn sense. (laughs) I mean, same, same with symbol, honestly. Yeah. Tambourine makes like, tambourine does make a little, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just, Tambourine does make a little bit of sense, right? To have be this sort of, like, like narratively. Yeah. The introductory character, the, the, the minion who's going out to kill the martial artists. You could just also have him be looking for the Dragon Balls. I mean, yeah. But, I mean, I think, I think the idea there is that Piccolo is more, more afraid of the Mafuba than not collecting the Dragon Balls. Yeah, I guess I don't I guess maybe he hasn't. I think maybe in his mind, he doesn't realize that there's like a group of people that realize that he has escaped and they're planning to use the Dragon Balls to get rid of him. I think he also, you know, because because this this kind of goes into 
we don't really know how long he was trapped inside that rice cooker for. Also true. I like to think it's a very long time. Even though that doesn't uh, completely line up with the flashbacks that show us like tanks and lasers being used. <laughs> I like to think of it as being like a very, very long time because we know that Roshi is like 300 years old, I think. Yeah, there's definitely some some timeline things not lining up and, here. And I like to think of it as being like like over a hundred years, or maybe even hundreds of years, such that Piccolo himself is lapsed into like legend and lore, but he doesn't even realize it. And he doesn't realize that he is thought of as almost a fictional character, and he thinks that all the martial artists of the world out there have been trained or training for his maybe not his return, return but but but, yeah. but the eventuality of there being other people like piccolo out there and so he thinks that all martial artists are trained in the mafuba which is kind of funny because it sort of betrays how little he knows of humanity because typically when we remove a threat we just pretend like it's never going to happen again. But that's that's like that's my preferred rationale behind. I mean, that's that's pretty well thought out. Where in my opinion, his, where he has his priorities is that yeah, he thinks that everyone is out there prepping for him. I mean, my my take on it was a little bit the opposite direction. I think he's banking on the fact that, like, everyone's forgotten. And so he has time because all he has to do is remove any credible threat. And then it's just it's literally just a matter of time until he eventually gets the Dragon Balls and wishes for his youth. Yeah, that doesn't I mean, that doesn't differ too much from what I'm saying, because I'm I'm saying like he. I don't, I don't, it's, I, it's the same outcome, like like it's opposite motivations, but it's the same outcome well, at the end of the day. I think, in my rationale, he's he doesn't he thinks everyone is prepping for his eventual return, but not that they know he's on the loose right now. Ah, uh, okay, I get you. Yeah. So yeah, then that's yeah. Okay, so he's still see, using yeah. that element of surprise to his advantage. That works. I could agree with that. Which is, which also goes to, you know, in this, in this second episode we watched when he like, he like smashes Goku and knocks him into the ground and he's like, oh, you're still alive. He intended on killing Goku with that strike. He is, even when he fights a warrior, he's not trying to test out their strength. He's trying to kill them as soon as possible before they can unleash the Mafuba on him. He's trying yeah, to use a... that element of surprise. But also, at this, like, I th- I think... Because there's also some moments here where he does straight up just, like, sit there gloating at yeah. Goku. Because, I mean, like, he's, he's... Let's be real. He's a bit of a narcissist, so he's gonna do that a little bit. But, but he also... Yeah, as, far as, as far as, like, like trying to remove threats, like, he's very much working, like, he's got a, a goal in mind. He's like, okay, I gotta get rid of martial artists because they know a technique that can actually get rid of me. And then when I encounter someone who's strong enough to destroy my henchmen, I show up <laughs> and I put them in the dirt. He also only does that after 
realizing that Goku doesn't even know who he is. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So he's 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 I see what you're saying. So he's going into the fight, assuming Goku knows who he is, even though he doesn't know who Goku is. And then in the middle of that fight, it's revealed that Goku has no idea who he is. And he's like, oh, okay, well, then let me educate you. Yeah. And then kill you. (laughs) Which seems like a waste, honestly. (laughs) Let me spend all this time gloating just so I can kill you so you can't tell anybody. (laughs) Because he doesn't know Yajirobe's in the bushes. So who's he performing for? (laughs) Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, That's a little bit about Piccolo's children. That's, you know, that's... That's this is it's a hot button issue with Piccolo sometimes is is this the question of how do his children look like wings and all this stuff that doesn't look like Piccolo and there you go we gave you a couple of answers to choose from pick your favorite the real one is that Toriyama <laughs> just forgot because he's Akira Toriyama uh for those of you who've been listening since the beginning you might be starting to pick up on a theme here. <laughs> And if you're only just starting to pick up on this theme, you might want to start paying attention when you listen. (laughs) God knows we should. (laughs) Hey, look! We're approaching Freezer Force Controlled Space again! Your point being? We'll be able to place a call and get a new ship. What's wrong with this one? What's wrong with this... It's not equipped for deep space travel. It has no bathrooms, no deep space scouter system, no rooms other than this cockpit. And that's a problem for you. Well, considering I would be using a bathroom right about now if we had one, yes, that's a problem for me. Well, hold it. For how long? What are you, an animal? Until we get somewhere. I really gotta go. So help me, I will turn this spaceship around. And what? I'll still have to go. I'll kick you out of the airlock. In fact, why not just do that? You can breathe in space, can't you? I could create a frozen block of my own waste that would act as a meteor and be a dangerous projectile. What are the odds of that ever becoming a problem? Well, given our history, either it'll be forgotten about, or in a few years it'll be some punchline resulting in my death. (laughs) Either way is good for me. (sighs) Well, listeners, we'll take our leave of you here. Will Bikini create a frozen lump of his own waste that winds up becoming a projectile that pierces him through the brain? Will we get a new ship and revise mission parameters? Find out next time and help us achieve our final forum. is written and produced by Tom Gwelly. It is performed by Dan Kinney and Tom Gwelly. Our webmaster is Dan Kinney. Our theme music is provided by YouTube content creator GVG Kit. Want to learn more about the Dragon Ball universe, including concept art, behind-the-scenes interviews, and recommendations from Jelly and Bikini? Connect with us on social media. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Final Forum Pod. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you receive your podcasts. And of course, make sure to share with your friends and family and help us spread the word of the glory of Lord Frieza. The Frieza Force thanks you for your listenership. 